James has given me the task of preaching this morning from verses 4 and 5 of this first chapter. John writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. Some of you may remember that many years ago the sailing ships used to be guided by pointing the compass at a star during the night, and hopefully that will keep going during the day. The story is well known that Captain Bill ordered the cabin boy to take the wheel because he wanted to have a rest. He said to the boy, keep the bow, ship on the star. Later he came to the bridge and the cabin boy had lost his bearings. The ship was going in the opposite direction. I told you to steer towards the star. The skipper, the boy said, we passed that star a long time ago. So they lost their bearings. It was being followed the wrong light. What light are you following? Is it the light of Christ? Or the light of some philosophy? What I want to do is to divide this passage up. And uh, as I said to James, I've got to focus on verses 4 and 5, so I don't want to pinch anyone else area, but I do need to touch on those areas. Firstly, there's the Logos in verses 1 to 3 of John's Gospel. It reminds us very much of the beginning of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here John says, in the beginning was the Word, it's the Logos. He designates the Son of God regarding his deity, that the Son, the Logos, is God. He was not part of creation. He was before creation. In Greek philosophy, the word Logos meant reason or logic, and logic has become a study in itself. But it's an abstract force that brought harmony to the universe, or at least it was supposed to. In John's Gospel, and in his letters, the Logos is the person of Christ. The Logos was affirmed to be with God, a distinction of persons within the unity of the Godhead. Now why do we emphasize this? Because the Christian faith is Trinitarian. We're not talking about three gods. We're talking about one God, in unity. And so when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, and all the persons of the Godhead can be related as God. It's the word Trinity. The difficulty is that the word Trinity is not in the Scriptures, but it is used to describe the fact that God comes in three persons. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we find that this God who was Trinity 
declares, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And it's a plural verb, let us make man in our image. The plurality of persons, of God himself. God is one in three persons. We need to get hold of that. And each person is fully God. Why do we need to get hold of it? Well, I'm at the moment over at Lutheran Homes. I was there one day and there was a knock on the door. And I thought, oh, very interesting, they're coming to welcome me. They were, as the Jehovah's Witnesses. They spotted that I'd moved in. And so I asked them the question because I looked at their, their version of the Bible. And uh, I won't go into that, but uh, they have all sorts of funny things, but they certainly don't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe that Jesus Christ was God. The visit lasted about a minute and a half. And I said, they've been coming back again. And they haven't. But we need to know ourselves as believers what we believe about God in our understanding. Who are we worshiping this morning? Well, you might say we're worshipping God, yes, but what God? Is it the God of our own philosophy or imagination or perception or is it the God who is a triune God in the scriptures? <coughs> now, the second emphasis is, is in verses 4 and 5, and this is where we have to take note. Because John says, regarding this one that had come, in him was life. And the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if we turn back to Genesis for a minute, the first chapter of the creation story, and look at the first three verses of Genesis, you will see the relation with John's Gospel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But notice the next verse, and God said, and God said, what did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So you've got two, if you like, components, light and darkness. And God called the light day, the moment of day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now we'll stop there. But what is significant about that for us is the words, and God said. What he says accomplishes what he says. God's words are never mere noises. Now, we human beings, you talk to some people and it's just gobbledygook. It's, uh, you wonder what they're talking about. 
They go around in circles. God never comes out with nonsense talk. He never talks for the sake of talking. He never speaks without purpose. And the Bible, in its declaration of his truth, only gives us his truth, doesn't give us a variety of other things. So the word in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is obeyed without opposition. <coughs> now will you notice that nothing is addressed? To whom is God speaking? He's speaking out his word. It is creative speaking. It is beyond our understanding. God spoke. No one was present to hear it, nor do we know in what language the words came. I don't think it was English. Probably wasn't even Chinese. In Psalm 33 we find the words, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The breath that comes out of his mouth, the words that come out of his mouth. So God speaks and light is created. And God saw that the light was good. It means it was praised as good. God didn't say, oh, I've done a good job. It was praising the creation that he had made. Now when you notice there is one thing that he made that is not praised. The darkness is not praised. Now that presents us with a question. God made the darkness. I hope you had a good sleep last night in the darkness. You don't sleep in church, by the way. But it is during the night. The prophet Isaiah says in the words of God, I fall like and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Ah, hang on. God creates calamity. It means that God is sovereign over all things, everything in our life. There are some aspects we go through that we can't understand. Sometimes it's our own fault, our own selfishness, our own misbehaviour, our own lack of attention. You're walking along, you trip, it's your own fault because you didn't look where you were going, you didn't let that long ago. But God does all these things. Now what's the significance of the prophet Isaiah saying that? Well the answer is in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. That God saw everything he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And God doesn't sit back and fold his arms and say, I've done a good job. He doesn't sit back and pat himself on the back. But what he speaks out, what he declares in his creative word, it was very good. There was no 
problem that we might call God. And that verse is significant. But what did we first create? Life. <coughs> Life comes from God, and God dwells in unapproachable light. And you go into a room that is dark, and the first thing you do is feel for the light or ask where the light switch is and put it on. And sometimes a light can be so dazzling that it's hard and you, on your eyes and you close your eyes. Or you go out somewhere and there are a series of lights and they are so bright that it is difficult to look anywhere near them. God dwells in what we call unapproachable light, which reminds us of his holiness. We worship a God who is holy. But notice that God is not part of creation. He is separate from the creation. And for the Old Testament people of God, light meant Life and joy. I'm not saying that they behave, but that's what it's meant. But what comes to us, well, I want to turn back to Genesis 1 for a minute. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you've got some in Genesis 1. In verses 14 to 19, we need to take notice of. Now God has spoken again and again in Genesis 1, but in verse 14 we read, And God said, the guy he speak, he's speaking out, he's not talking to someone who's listening, he's speaking out. Well, he's talking to people like us who are listening now. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And that will be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And that there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to be light upon the earth. That's the reason they were made. They're for signs and seasons for days and years. And it was so. What God said always comes to pass. Now in verse 16, and God made two rope lights. So he's, he's created lights, which we might call stars, but now in this description, God made two rope lights. <coughs> We've got to live behind the door if we don't know what they mean. The greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. So he combines them here. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. No blemish in the creation. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Two great lights have created, along with the stars. And the fourth day, 
and they are to rule or to govern. That's the purpose of the, the two great lights. They're servants of God and His divine purposes. They're not just there for the sake of being there. They're not there just to give light when we want it. But when you notice that the words sun and moon are not mentioned, they're referred here as two great lights. The name sun and moon, which we, we use, and I don't think there's any problem about us using it, but originally they were linked with pagan worship. Because earlier generations saw these two great lights, and to them they were so very significant. And man, of course, now has tried to build all sorts of things on the moon if he's got the chance of being there. But there are no horoscopes in this. There's no telling of your fortune. There's no chance. There's no making this will happen. There's no putting these cards together and working out things. The, set, the, the, the decision that God made as he created the two great lights, their function was to separate the light from the darkness. Because then it says God saw that it was good. God said that it was good. Everything that we created is good. Well now, you're all remembering what I've just said. That's the important thing. Now we come back to John's Gospel and see the relationship of this. In verse 4 of chapter 1, in him, in this one who's called the Logos, the Word, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In whom was life? In the Word, the Logos. And that life was the only light that we have. There is no physical life in creation except in and through the Logos. He is the one who brought the creation. This is the answer to the origin and continuation of life. What does life mean? There are processes in our situation now where people think, no, I've had enough of life. I want to die. I want to commit suicide. I want to have an evil to put me out. That's not life. It is God who determines. But if we insist on having our own will in this area, we only have ourselves to blame. And it was Dr. J.I. Packer, of whom you no doubt heard, who said that life is given and maintained by the Word by the Logos, it's given and maintained by him. Created things do not have life in themselves. But life in the Word, the second person of the body. Created things do not have life in themselves. <coughs> Only life through the Logos. And as Christ dwells in us by his Word, and his Holy Spirit, we reflect and radiate the light of Christ to others. Why? Because light reveals truth. Light reveals truth. 
We are not life, we are not life and life in ourselves. You can't stand in front of the mirror and pride yourself and say, I'm, I'm life, I'm life. Lord of nonsense. Only as we follow the inspired and unchangeable logos, the word of God. For every Christian is an advertisement for the gospel of Christ and the glory of God. If you're a Christian, you are an advertisement that never goes out, that never gets lost, that is never covered over. Now why do we say that? Well, you remember this verse in John chapter 14 and verse 6. You should know this off by heart. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And if you know me, you would know my Father also. Now you might remember Jeff Bingham, if you heard him years ago, saying on this verse, I am the way of the Father, I am the life of the Father, and the truth of the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. The only way to know God the Father is through God the Logos, the Son who is light and life. Our third emphasis is in verses 6 to 13. This brings in John the Baptist. And you'll notice that uh, John the Apostle says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness, to bear witness to what? To the light. John's purpose was to bear witness to the light. That all might believe through him. The prophet Isaiah saw Messiah as the great light. That's what they look forward to, the great light. Dwelling and living and shining, bringing Christ to radiate to others. Now I want to illustrate this by turning to Ephesians. I think this is one of the clearest parts of the scriptures in chapter 5 to illustrate what we're getting at. To illustrate the ministry of John the Baptist. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes to the church. Now, it's not writing to pagans, it's writing to the church. The church of means of Bethel. That's us. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, or live, if you like. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Away go sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, he's writing to the church. He's writing to a group of believers. And that passage never goes out of date. The church constantly needs that. But what I want you to notice is in particular verse 8. He says to these professing believers, at one time you were darkness. He does not say you were in darkness. He does not say you were close to being in darkness. He says you were darkness, and the original Greek brings that out, so you can check with James later on. He's saying that the unbeliever, the non-Christian, is not in darkness. The unbeliever is darkness. Is darkness. Now, God saw everything that he had made, and it was good. God still has control over the darkness. But here, Paul is emphasizing this necessary point, that unless the light has revealed and dealt with our sin, we are in, not only in darkness, we are our darkness. Alright, I'll leave that to your moment. We come to the final point in John's Gospel, chapters 14 to 18, and the other preachers who look at this. In verse 14, this magnificent passage, the word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt amongst. The word became a human being and remains the word. We call him the God man. The divine and human nature of Christ became fully united without being fused. Now, can you understand? that the Lord Jesus was God and man. If you can, let me know how it works later on. It is the great mystery that there was a man who came, he was born as every other baby is born. He became fully man. He went to the cross as a man. He died as a man. He rose from death as a man. He ascended as a man. And guess what? There is a man in heaven. There is a man in heaven. A glorified man. And the death, human death, has come to your family. This is the great hope that we have. When we get to glory, when we get to heaven, we won't be spectres wandering around the place. We will be human beings glorified through the resurrection of the God-man. It's a mystery. What is heaven like? Life, I get there before you, I'd like to tell you, but I don't know how I'd send the message. The message, the truth, the answer is in the scriptures. And in verse 14, John says to us, this word that became flesh 
We have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. When did they see his glory? In his cross and resurrection. The cross was the coronation of Jesus the God man. John says we beheld his glory. We didn't just look at it. We didn't just glance. We beheld, we concentrated on his glory. On what do you concentrate as a believer? The problems, the issues that we all face? Or on the living Christ who will come again and take us to be with himself? We beheld his glory and means careful and deliberate vision which seeks to interpret the object, but we cannot interpret the object to our own human satisfaction. And the old King James Version I love because, not only because I was brought up with it, but it translates these words, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Not in our version here, the ESV, which is very good, the only Son from the Father is true. But the old King James says, the only begotten of the Father, and what they used to say years ago when I was studying, was he was begotten, not made. It is real, he was begotten. He was the same birth and upbringing as any other baby in Israel. But he was full of grace and truth. And this little passage finishes in verses 17 and 18 that the law, the Old Testament law, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was at the Father's side. But the Logos, the Word, has made him known. The true light and glory culminating in the coronation of Christ on his cross and resurrection. Do you know? Do you know his light and his life? Do you know Jesus Christ? Where am I going to church? That's not the question I'm asking. Do you know Christ? Does his glory emanate from you? Does his glory emanate from you as the people of God in this church called Bethlehem? That's what we get down to. How real is our Christian understanding, our Christian living, our Christian life. How real is the loss to us? Let's join in prayer.